Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. It is great to have you here today. Um, before we start, I just want to <clears throat> take a moment and pray for Melody, uh, Brace, um, Calvin, and Melody attend here, and a bunch of their family, um, including Tina, etc., uh, Allie, and others. Um, <clears throat> she's in the hospital, and she's not doing well, um, and so we need to be praying for her, that God will heal her. Um, <clears throat> they have grown children, and they're, they're all in the area. They all came, came back. Uh, last night, the, uh, the last child came back to the area. Um, so we need to be praying for Melody. Also, tomorrow night from 6 to 7, uh, they need food. So we asked, what can we do to help? And they said, um, we could use food. We have a lot of people here. Um, so from 6 to 7, uh, the Hellmans will be here. If you would like to come by and drop off food, um, freezer meals are great. They have a freezer they can throw stuff in. Um, so tomorrow night from 6 to 7, bring food here, and the Hellmans will take them the food. But why don't we take a moment and pray for Melody. Father, thank you so much <clears throat> that you are a big God. I uh, thank you that you love us, that you understand what's going on. You know everything, you see everything, and you love us. Uh, I also thank you that you are the great physician, that you um, created everything and, and certainly can heal anything you want. And I, I pray that you would heal uh, Melody. I pray for the family there, for Calvin, for the kids, for the extended family, that you would comfort them. <clears throat> Please give the doctors wisdom, and uh, I pray that we'd be able to show them love uh, through our food and, and any other way. Um, but thank you that you're a big God. Thank you that you love us, and I, I, do, um, I do know that you can, can heal her. I, I just pray that you would. Um, I pray this morning you'd get glory. Thank you for your church. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to meet together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Tomorrow night from 6 to 7. <clears throat> well, that, that doesn't have anything to do with our sermon, but let me just turn and, and go right in. We are in a series called I Can't Believe, and we are hitting, talking about the four Four of the largest challenges, objections, uh, argument points, I don't know, reasons why somebody struggles to believe. And today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn, please, to John chapter 20. Um, we're going to be in John 20, and we're going to look at doubt. Now, doubt is a tricky one, all right? I, I, everybody doubts. We have, we have all doubted. At some point, you've either doubted at work, am I the guy for the job, am I the girl for the job, maybe you've doubted in a relationship, maybe you've doubted at home, I doubt if I'm going to be a good parent, I doubt if I'm being a good parent, I doubt if I was a good parent, um, you know, doubts. I, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan and, and Dave's back there gloating because I doubt that the Red Sox will make the playoffs um, again. But I've been a Red Sox fan for 50 years, so this doesn't hurt any more than, well, 1978, when Bucky Dent hit a home run. 
off Mike Torres, or 1982, it, it doesn't matter. I, I've had a lot of doubt, and they've usually come true um, with my Red Sox. But we all doubt. We, we, we all doubt at one point or another. I remember as a high school student, my dad was a pastor, I remember laying in bed thinking, what if, what if the Bible's not true? Like, what if we've got the totally wrong religion? Like, we've got it all wrong. <clears throat> then what? I was just doubting. I just, I, I just doubted. And we, we all doubt. And either you're doubting now or you'll doubt later or you've doubted in the past. But doubting is pretty common for why people can't believe. And we're going to look at a guy today who struggled with some doubt. So let's jump right in. John chapter 20, what we're going to see is oftentimes our life experiences and our wounds lead us to doubt. So backstory. Okay, we're going to pick the story up in John 20 right in the middle. So let me give you some backstory. This lady, Mary, Mary um, Jesus, Jesus died. So he was killed on the cross. He was hung on the cross. He died. They took his body down. They put it in a tomb. Mary gets up very early on Easter morning, goes to the tomb. She sees the big stone in front of the tomb rolled to the side. And she says, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Usually those stones stay in place. So she ran back and told some of her friends, Peter and John were two of her friends, and they were alarmed that the stone was rolled away to the side, and so they ran to the tomb to see what was going on. Somebody's got to get to the bottom of this. She thought maybe somebody stole his body. They didn't know, so they get there, they run inside, and they look, and sure enough, his body's gone. And the cloth that, was, that he was wrapped in is, is nice and stacked there. And so they run back and tell their friends, something's going on. Okay, so now we're going to pick the story up in John 20, verses 19. Well, verse 19. So on the evening of that first week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So let me stop right there. So the followers of Jesus, the disciples, okay, there were 11 of them at this point. There were 12, but Judas is, is gone. There were 11 of them. They really thought that the Roman Empire, the Romans were going to, okay, they took Jesus and killed him. They're coming for us next. So they're in a room. They've got the doors locked. They're scared. Fearing of the, of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed his hands and his side. So he showed where the nails had gone through his hands and where the spear has pierced his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Okay. Um, Let's skip down to verse 24. It says, um, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, now there's eleven, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So so there were only ten of them in the room. Thomas wasn't there. Jesus showed up, 
in the room, somehow got in, the door's locked, he shows up, says, hey, it's me, look, it's really me, see my hand, see my side, and they say, oh, that's awesome. And then they run back and tell Thomas, dude, <laughs> we saw him. Okay. So the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, yeah, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And those of you who have been around church very long know that 2,000 years later, we still know this guy as Doubting Thomas. Because he doubted. He's got friends saying, we saw Jesus. And he's like, nah, nah, no. No, really, like he was here. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> like, no, no, he showed us his hands. Yeah, whatever, yeah, no. <clears throat> really? Yeah. Not going to believe until I get to experience it. Now, I think Thomas gets a, gets a poor shake. I think Thomas gets a raw deal. I, he certainly is not the, the first one or last one who's ever doubted. In fact, I think every, that's not true probably, but there's a lot of stories in the Bible that talk about somebody who doubts. Um, in fact, even in the book of John, there, there are people who doubt. Well, let me give you some examples. John the Baptist Jesus' cousin, he was preaching about the Messiah who was coming. And he was the one who went before. He's like, hey, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. Well, then John the Baptist got arrested and thrown in jail. And he said to a couple of his followers, yeah, hey, will you guys go and see Jesus and ask him, just ask him, are you the guy that, that I'm supposed to talk about or not? I'm, I'm just wondering, like, are you the real deal? So in Luke 7, 19, here's what John the Baptist said. Calling two of them, two of his followers, he sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? You know what John the Baptist was doing? Doubting. What about uh, Jesus' brothers? <laughs> John 7 verse 5 says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus' own brothers doubted that Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, they, they said at one point that he was out of his mind. One of Jesus' brothers, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James and became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He doubted. Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, I, I can't imagine being a sibling of Jesus. That would just be so frustrating. I wish you could be more like your brother Jesus. He's perfect. Yes, be more like him. He keeps his room clean. Like, he just snaps his finger and it gets clean. It's not fair. Like, that would have been awful. But James didn't believe. He doubted. Eventually, James was was murdered for being a follower of Jesus. And then Matthew 28, verse 17, says this, when they, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now the crazy thing about Matthew 28 is, 
This is the very end of Jesus' life. He, he meets them on a mountain and he levitates up to heaven. And it says, it says there that some of his disciples doubted. I can't imagine being there. Can you imagine? Like, yeah, still not buying it. Yeah, what a crock. Oh, hey, he just passed that cloud. I mean, how can you doubt? Like, what? That's ridiculous. And yet, we doubt today. Doubting is still something that, that everybody struggles with. So doubting Thomas is doubting. And, and he gets the term doubting Thomas because of that. Um, I guess what I try to think about is why was Thomas doubting? Why do we doubt? Like, what is the reason? <clears throat> if, if I don't believe, if I doubt, then what's the real reason? And we're not really told why Thomas doubted, but I've got two possible ideas for why he doubted. The first one is that Jesus just shattered what Thomas thought God was like. In, in Thomas' mind, he probably thought the Messiah will come, the Messiah will rule, the Messiah will squish any uprising, and he had no place in his brain for a Messiah dying. He, he didn't really have brain space for a Messiah who would love tax collectors and prostitutes. And... If the Messiah does that, that's not what I had in my head. You know, maybe, maybe Jesus just shattered what, what he was thinking. Like, and I, I, I wonder if sometimes we have doubts because we discover that, that God really just isn't exactly what we thought he would be. Well, you don't understand, I have this problem and I've been praying and praying and praying and God hasn't answered me. And so I doubt if he really is who he said he was. Oh no, maybe God answered and, and he answered in a way that you just didn't like. Maybe he just answered me in a way I just don't like. But then I doubt. <clears throat> then we doubt. Second option, possibly, would be that Jesus personally disappointed Thomas. Not professionally, not as the Messiah, but, but maybe personally Thomas was disappointed by Jesus. That, you know, Thomas had given a lot. Thomas had risked a lot. He had left everything he knew when Jesus said, come, follow me. And he probably had friends who said, ah, you're an idiot. You're going to follow that teacher? <laughs> Loser. And he did follow the teacher. He did follow Jesus. And for three years of his life, every day, <clears throat> he followed Jesus. And then Jesus dies. And Thomas begins to think, well, you let me down personally. I'm your friend. I believed you. I believed what you were saying. Now you went and died. You let me down. Now my friends were right. What a waste of three years. 
I don't know exactly why Thomas doubted. But I do know this, it's, it's, it's much easier to believe that God exists or that Jesus existed than it is to actually be sold out to him and to his teaching. See, I, I think Thomas may, may have been let down personally because he, he was good with the idea of a Messiah But then he felt like he was sold out to something that was a lie. I, I, I go back to prayer. Well, I was told prayer works. It's not working for me. <clears throat> I was told I'd have peace. I don't have any peace. The, the, the guy on TV told me if I gave $10, I'd get 100 back. I mean, you just think about the... <clears throat> the ways we could be disappointed. And I wonder if my disappointment or my doubt comes more from who I think God is in my little God box than it, than it really is that, that who God is. I think I can't... God has been very, very, very... Um, God hasn't let me down. He's been very faithful. That was the word I couldn't think of. God has been very faithful to me over the years. And if I tracked God's faithfulness in my life, it's overwhelming. The problem is when I write a list of what I wish God was, like, hey, not meeting my expectations. And I wonder if that was Thomas. I wonder if that's us a lot of times. Does, does my doubt come from the fact that God really is letting me down? Or does my doubt come... You know, that I don't really believe that in a God? Or does my doubt come from the fact that he really just doesn't live up to what I wish he was? In my willingness to accept that God is who he says he is. Let's, <clears throat> let's continue reading in this story about Thomas. So, verse 26, a week later, <clears throat> Jesus' disciples were in a room again. And Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked again, okay, still scared for their life. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's his way of saying, don't freak out. Okay, it's me. Don't, don't nobody go crazy. No, it's me. Peace be with you. In other words, whoa, okay, it's all right. It's all right. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. <clears throat> there's, there's many, many questions I think of when I read these verses. One is, how did Jesus know that Thomas doubted? Huh. Jesus answered a question Thomas didn't even ask him. Huh. Interesting. There's a bunch of miracles in, this little, in these little verses. One is that Jesus went into a room without opening the door. That would be weird. That would, yes, if he did that, I would really want him to say, peace be with you. Like, he needs to say something right away because that's scary, okay? Then he's in the room and he turns to address the one person who had doubted him. 
And he has a dialogue with him and tells him to do exactly the same things that Thomas had said, I need to do these things. Jesus says, okay, here's my hands, here's my side. Jesus says, you want proof? Put your fingers in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I think uh, I think sometimes our wounds in life, our scars, our wounds, are the things that cause us to doubt. Well, if God was da 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 da, then this wouldn't have happened. Well, if God had da da da, then this wouldn't have done well. Well, I'm still suffering. If God hadn't, and, and I wonder if a lot, of, a lot of my doubt comes from my wounds. And yet when I read this, do you realize that Jesus' wounds are what caused Thomas not to doubt but to believe? I've wondered, <clears throat> theologically, I've wondered, why did Jesus still have wounds? Wait, I thought our bodies were going to be new. Why, why does Jesus still have the scars? I think it's on purpose. I think he's going to have those scars and he's going to show us those wounds and it's going to prick us. And we're going to remember why we believed because of those wounds. I think that's what happened with Thomas. Thomas' response then is, uh, Thomas said to him in verse 28, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, and this is, a, this is a tough verse. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Uh, that probably hurt Thomas. You know, he's standing there, now he believes, he's like, oh, I, you are, yes, you're the Messiah, I'm so glad you're here. And Jesus says, yeah, kind of wish you just believed your friends. You had ten guys and a Lady Mary saying, hey, we saw Jesus. Why couldn't you just believe? <clears throat> It's very interesting to me that, that Jesus did not offer any explanations to Thomas about why he died, about how he rose, the details, the proof. You see, I don't think Thomas' doubting was intellectual. I don't think he was wrestling with, I just need seven more apologetic reasons why Jesus, you know, I don't think that was it at all. I think Thomas was really struggling not, not with intellect, but, but with emotion. And I'm, I'm not convinced that my doubting as a high schooler, or, or even after that, was intellectual. Nobody answered my apologetic questions. 
I think it was emotional. I think I had to come to a place where I was willing to accept that Jesus was who he said he was, and the Bible is true, and because it is true, I need to be willing to live a certain way. Okay, am I willing? I think it comes down to a willingness. A willingness to believe before belief. This is, this is what I wrote. We, uh, we, we usually don't think about it this way. We usually think, well, I will believe and then everything else will fall into place. But it's not true. A willingness to do God's will and trust Him comes before belief. A willingness to humble myself and accept God's judgment, to submit to God, precedes a knowledge and understanding. Many of us don't want a God that contradicts what we want Him to be. We don't want a God that challenges our morality, or, or we don't want a God who won't obey everything I ask in prayer or won't give me everything I want. Our fundamental problem is a head problem, or it's not a head problem, it's a heart problem. I think Thomas's fundamental problem was not a head problem, was not proof or apologetics, it was a heart problem. Do I believe? Am I willing to believe in Jesus without having all of the facts? And that's a question we all wrestle with. And I think anybody who doubts has to wrestle with that. Do I believe the Bible is true? Well, just, just prove it. Okay, well, we can go down that road, but ultimately, we, we have to acknowledge that by faith, I believe the Bible is true. Do you believe God is who he said he was? Well, just prove God exists. Okay, we can go through. There are many arguments to go through whether God exists or not. However, ultimately... <clears throat> It takes somebody's willingness to say, <laughs> the problem is if I believe he is true, then I probably have to obey him. Well, I don't know if I'm willing to obey him. He's going to meddle in my life and, and I'm going to have to change things. Okay. That's why a willingness comes before belief. <clears throat> I wrote this down. The facts of Jesus' death and resurrection didn't change Thomas but the wounds of Jesus' resurrection did. Jesus' wounds lead us toward belief. Our life experiences, our pain, our wounds often lead us to doubt. <clears throat> so, what do we do with this? Well, I think there's two groups of people. I, I think there's, there's two groups of people. Some of you here are probably questioning Jesus or the Bible or, or, or belief or whatever, and you probably have for quite a while. Um, the, the question I want to ask you this morning is, are you willing to believe in something that will change your life? Are you willing to believe without having all of the proof Thomas didn't need all of the proof. He, he just needed to wrestle with the idea that I'm, all right, I'm all in. Actually, just so you know, Thomas was murdered 
because he was a follower of Jesus. He went to India after this as a, as a missionary, somebody who was telling people about Jesus, the Messiah, and he was murdered. Um, he was speared to death. So he believed this so much that he was willing to die. James, the brother of Jesus, murdered because he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. <clears throat> Actually, that's one of the proofs, if somebody wants proofs about was Jesus really real, there's, there's a lot of people who have come to this earth and said there's somebody, um, but it's another whole level when people are willing to die because of what they say they believe. All of the disciples died for Jesus. And the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. John died at age 96. He was in exile on the island of Patmos. They tried to kill John. They could not succeed. So of all the disciples, John lived to be 96. They boiled him in oil because he was a follower of Jesus. Right? They tried hard to kill John. It's a, it's a good try. Um, so all, all the disciples went to the grave saying Jesus was who he said he was. They believed. So for some of us, we need to say, are we willing to believe something that will change our life, that will meddle in our life and require us to live different? The second group of people are the people who say, you know what, I do believe, but I have doubts sometimes. You know what, if you don't have doubts now, you will at some point. And I want to challenge you about a support group. You see, at Bridgewater, we say life is better connected. And we have something called small groups. We do that because we recognize that we need support structures in our lives. Doubts will come. And a lot of what I do with my doubts has to do with whomever it is that is in my ear, encouraging me, praying for me, talking to me. And so I'm in a small group that encouraged me, of, of followers of Jesus that encouraged me, that helped me. And I think you should be too. I, I wrote up there, are you connected <clears throat> to a support structure of people who will help you when the doubts come? Who is that in your life? And, and maybe it's not even doubts. Maybe it's struggles. Maybe it's just a lack of encouragement. I was thinking about Calvin and, and Melody thinking, who do they have around them? This is not a doubt. I'm not saying that. But, but it's a crisis. Who do they have around them? Who do you have around you? If anybody can doubt, Thomas doubted. He hung out with Jesus for three years. Thomas saw Jesus calm the seas. Thomas saw Peter walk on water. Thomas saw Jesus break bread and, make fi and feed 5,000 people with bread and fish. Like, Thomas saw Jesus heal people. Thomas was in the room when they dropped that quadriplegic guy down from the ceiling, and Jesus healed him, and he walked away. Thomas was with him when he told the lame guy, get up and walk. 
or the guy who had been blind for 38 years, go and see, you're fine. Like, Thomas had every reason to believe. And he doubted. Why would we think that we're not going to doubt? And when we do, do we have a support structure around us that loves God, that loves us, that will encourage us and pray for us and help us? Two applications. Doubt will come. Do you have a support structure? Secondly, maybe you're doubting today. I, I would... I would wager to bet that you are struggling not with an intellectual lack of proof, but more with an emotional willingness, either because of your wounds and scars in the past or because of the idea that if I do believe, then I'm going to have to change and obey, and that's tough. And I get it. I totally understand. It is. Giving someone else control of our lives is vulnerable and scary. But I will say this, giving Jesus control of my life was the best thing I ever did. Best thing I ever did, by far. Radically changed my life? Yeah. And it radically changed yours too. Let's pray. Father, I don't... uh, I don't know where, where everybody in the room is at. I don't know um, what, what they're wrestling through, but I, I, as I preach this and as I read John 20, I'm just so thankful. <clears throat> I'm just so thankful you don't write us off when we doubt. You could have so easily just said, oh, all right, moving on from Thomas. And yet, you, uh, you went out of your way to help him believe. And, and you've done that in our lives so often. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Father, please help us. Help us to be willing to uh, give you control of our lives. And, and I, I pray that when we do doubt, that we would... Remember that you are a firm foundation, a stronghold, a mighty fortress, a deliverer, and that you never leave us or forsake us. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you're a big God who loves us and is very faithful to us. Thank you for who you are. Um, God, please help us to have support structures around us. I pray that we would support Calvin and, and Melody, their family, during this time, Tina, Allie, all the... the all the the family members there, help us to show your love to them. Um, And I also, again, would pray that you would heal Melody. In Jesus' name, amen.